Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the program. You're listening to the Mind Whisperer at blogtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. On today's show, we are talking about uh, the government shutdown and the battle over Obamacare. Particularly, uh, the focus of the program is on conservatism itself and uh, what it represents about the psyche of the uh, political mind and the, and the uh, psychological profile of somebody who's uh, strongly conservative and what the research tells us. Just before we launch into that show, I want to remind you that you can call in if you're listening live. Uh, the number is 347-945-7891. That's area code 347-945-7891. And you can find uh, that number and all of our information here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash uh, the mind whisper. And uh, that's where you can tune into the program as well. You can listen on iTunes and perhaps you're listening to the archive program on iTunes. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here regardless. And we also have a, a Facebook page. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash The Mind Whisperer. And please follow those links and uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, love to hear from you. I've got suggestions on guests and uh, topics for the show. So in the meantime, let's get right to the topic at hand today. Big news in the United States. Uh, I'm My name is Michael Gordon. I'm broadcasting from uh, beautiful Vancouver, Canada. I'm observing from up in Canada... Uh, through the media, what's going on with the um, government shutdown in the United States, which is, uh, as far as I understand, um, and somebody's welcome to call me in and, and yeah, inform me better on the topic, but generally speaking, um, Obamacare, which was the uh, Health Care Act introduced by President Obama, um, has now come into effect as legislation, and the government... Um, the, the Republican-dominated House of Representatives was uh, led by efforts by uh, Congressman Cruz, uh, who led a filibuster um, to try and tie up the, the House and undermine the budget, uh, budgetary passing of uh, or the passing of the budget that would fund the bill. So the bill itself is legislation; it's law. It goes; it's already gone into effect. And uh, so this is not the first time that the conservatives have um, filibustered and uh, tried, you know, uh, used these attempts to um, block the passing of legislation in the House. And uh, the Senate um, repeatedly turned down uh, ratifying a bill that would um, have uh, Obama, have, have the government continue to function without Obamacare 
um, following through, and that was also turned down. So in effect, they lost, but they have thrown a cog, a wrench into the into the uh, into the spokes of the government machinery, or the cogs of the machinery, um, thus shutting down the government. But as far as we're concerned on the program today, I want to talk about this um, aspect of this really vociferous conservatism and almost this single-minded um, obsessive approach to uh, policy discourse and the very rigid parameters of discussing social issues and in particular the, uh, the hyper focus on uh, morality in a very um, single-minded, again, kind of way. And so I'm going to point to some research here that uh, is talking about not conservatism itself is not pathological. It's not saying that the political ideology of conservatism itself is insane. What it's saying is that there are strong predictors for people who end up with a conservative ideology uh, that are motivated by uh, psychological factors. So it's a very important distinction not to conflate the two issues, the psychological drivers and the ideological um, drivers. So people can be, you know, quite soundly um, motivated by political ideology that's conservative without being kind of crazy. But generally speaking, that brand of conservatism uh, exemplified by the most of vocal proponents and the most extreme proponents, and we're talking about U.S. politics, but certainly in Canada as well, um, display a kind of, of uh, psychopathology of mental illness. So let's get right to um, the research. This is actually some government-funded research that came out in 2003, um, with much to the chagrin of the Conservatives at the time, uh, which examined some of the top conservatives in the United States, including George Bush. Um, it also um, linked Hitler, Mussolini, Ronald Reagan, Rush Limbaugh, all suffering from a similar kind of affliction. We'll get back to that in a moment. But the study itself was uh, published in the Psychological Bulletin, uh, put up by the American Psychological Association in 2003, and it's a joint study, it's a meta-study actually of other research. Uh, and the four uh, co-authors of the study are from Stanford, University of California, Berkeley, and University of Maryland. So very credible um, academics and uh, academic uh, rigor in the study. And it's a, the study itself is a, a meta-analysis from 88 samples in 12 countries with a sample size of 22,000. So it's, it's, it's a very, again, very credible, uh, methodologically sound uh, meta-analysis of other research about conservatism. And the study itself essentially uh, showed that, quote, severe psychological variables predicted political conservatism. So what are we talking about here? Well, in order of their predictive uh, ranking, here are the... Um, variables that drive political conservatives um, that showed up in all of this research. Death anxiety, system instability, 
dogmatism slash intolerance of ambiguity, closed-mindedness, low tolerance of uncertainty, high needs for order, structure and closure, low integrative complexity, fear of threat and loss, and low self-esteem. And the conclusion, which is quite uh, alarming at the end of the study, is that, quote, the core ideology of conservatism stresses resistance to change and a justification of inequality. Now, we see this being very true when you see attacks on the social programs and welfare and um, work for welfare and um, uh, cutting food stamps. You know, you're really targeting the most vulnerable in society by, by justifying the, um, the moral cause of fiscal responsibility or um, that uh, kind of social Darwinist point of view. And so inherently that has a very rigid um, uh, framework to it. And, and so some of these indicators, um, closed-mindedness, um, high need for order, and particularly low integrative complexity. Now this is something that's shown up in actual brain scans comparing the brain activity of um, liberal thinkers and conservative thinkers. And this low integrative uh, complexity they're talking about is the ability to hold multiple um, varied points of view at the same time, um, as opposed to thinking in very black and white terms. And uh, this is something, the, the former is, is a trait that's uh, manifest in individuals who are, have the brain scanned who are of a more liberal um, ideology and those with the more conservative thinking. We're talking about cognition here now. I'm not just talking about a point of view. It's very important to make that distinction. This isn't about your opinion. This is about how the brain functions and how conservatism is a manifestation of um, irregular or rigid thinking in the brain. We can actually see this in, in brain scans. Um, so we're talking about individuals who are driven by fear, uh, low self-worth, and a lack of mental fluidity or lability or dexterity. And the intolerance of ambiguity in particular is very important. Uh, things have to be very cut and dry, and that shows up as this sort of moral indignation at um, you know, gay marriage or um, uh, minority rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some of the other uh, points of, the, of that uh, meta-research um, include uh, going back to some of the, the um, fascist and, and right-wing leaders that were profiled. Um, they all, quote, preached a return to an idealized past and condoned inequality. And again, so that you can see this particularly in Hitler and Mussolini, they're idealizing the, you know, in Hitler's case, the, the Reich and um, this sort of nation state as a, as a manifestation of idealized uh, Roman qualities. Um, you know, the, 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 the Reich being the coming again of the Roman Empire. And so this is the idealization of ultimate power. And moving along a little further in some of the analysis, I'm now, I'm now uh, drawing from a, an article in the, um, the Guardian from the UK, which came out right after this study uh, was published. And the article is by Julian Borger, is uh, an American writer. Um, the, so here's another uh, quote from 
the study in this Guardian article, this intolerance of ambiguity can lead people to cling to the familiar, to arrive at premature conclusions, and to impose simplistic cliches and stereotypes. And so one of the uh, psychologists in the study, Jack Glazer, said that the this aversion to um, complexity and ambiguity pardon me, ambiguity, and the need for closure in black and white simplification um, is one way of uh, explaining uh, the Bush administration's ignored intelligence uh, going against the evidence of uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Um, and they go on to make a disclaimer in the study, again, that uh, the results don't mean that, that, quote, conservatism is pathological or that conservative beliefs are necessarily false. They're just, again, showing that um, there's a low tolerance for ambiguity and a high need for order and structure. So, you can, you know, we can really see this in evidence of uh, uh, fascist thinking, you know, the, the extreme social control, um, the ideology to the point of actually committing mass murder, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, less extreme versions of that are absolutely present in the rigidity of thinking and the low tolerance for um, not only complexity of, of opinion, but diversity in society. So the anti-gay, the um, anti-gay marriage, um, you know, anti-union, um, this uh, the, the denying of climate change, all of these are, are, are signs of this kind of uh, pathological way of, of thinking. And so, it, you know, it, from a psychoanalytic point of view, you could study some of these individuals and look back, and, and, individual, and there are psychologists who have done this, who have looked back in the past of those um, right-wing leaders, and you can see the predictors in their early childhood um, and some of their... Uh, Trump traumatic experiences that uh, would shape them to be individuals who are driven by these kind of variables or that there are predictors there for the outcome of somebody who has conservative thinking. Now, you can still be a very warm and affable person and have very rigid thinking. This isn't a, this, again, it doesn't mean that conservatism is equated with um, cruelty or um, fascistic uh, you know, ideology or that conservatism itself is inherently cruel. Um, that's another argument altogether, um, which would be very difficult to, to, to empirically um, um, prove or, or stand up as a hypothesis um, in a sound way psychologically, that, such as this study does. And this is, again, just showing the rigidity of thinking and the low tolerance for disorder and disorganization. And so, you know, you can see this in individuals who, are, for example, need order in their physical environment and even to the point of being obsessive-compulsive. Uh, so it gives you a little bit of insight into the law and order um, ideological um, language, the rhetoric of um, political conservative ideologues up here in Canada, for example, uh, we have, uh, you know, Arcanian Prime Minister Stephen Harper uh, started off in uh, a very, very uh, neoconservative far-right organization uh, that eventually 
was amalgamated as, uh, from the progressive conservatives to, into the Conservative Party of Canada, but he was what was called the Heritage Party, which is a very far right-wing uh, Christian organization. And many people up in Canada here don't know the roots of um, how deep the, this political ideology of conservatism goes with our current um, government. But as you see the pattern of rhetoric and the priorities of the government um, and where they make their decisions to cut or to promote programs, it's very indicative of these uh, variables that show up in the research that drive conservative thinking. So we have a very law and order centric government. They pursued uh, resource extraction in, in the tar sands in Alberta. Um, contrary to all evidence, they're now pushing uh, of environmental um, impact. Uh, they, and without reinvesting that money, in social programs, so just drawing on as a surplus to further their their conservative agenda, um, while the income gap in Canada continues to grow, um, and infant mortality rates rise, et cetera, et cetera. We still have vast problems with our Aboriginal uh, communities, um, with unemployment, and that's not all of that can be blamed on the recession. Uh, some of the other, you know, focuses, for example, on the armed forces, and we, uh, the government became obsessed with and overinvested in a uh, potential uh, fighter jet program. Um, to again, to the contrary of all sound uh, advice and procurement uh, protocol, and it ended up costing an enormous amount of money. And um, again, it was just sort of this really. Um, fixated point of view on securing uh, military uh, equipment uh, to refurbish our Air Force, which is, you know, important, but to do that to the detriment of the, you know, the, the budget and um, development of other uh, vitally needed socially programs to maintain the historical um, Profile of Canada of being a just society with a socialized national health system, et cetera, et cetera. So, going back to the um, looking at the individuals who emerge who are very conservative in their approach, um, I refer you to the work of Dr. Alice Miller, who's a German uh, psychiatrist and psych psychotherapist as, um, who wrote a series of books, um, and the particular one I'm thinking of is called The Drama of the Gifted Child, and she actually talks about Adolf Hitler and talks about his uh, early upbringing and his relationship with his mother and um, looking at some of those early conditions that can, again, predict uh, overcompensation for uh, order, structure, grandiosity, um, some of the things that lead to more sort of quite severe psychopathic um, uh, tendencies um, uh, later on or, 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 or exhibited psychopathic qualities later on in life. And the other thing I want to bring up at just the end of the program here that does veer in, away from um, making a, dis a distinction between uh, psychological variables and, and Cognition and 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 disordered, you know, cognitive uh, patterns and how they're reflected in conservative or how they predict conservative ideology. Um, 
there was a very uh, well-received, successful, in fact, it still, I think, believe stands as the most successful Canadian documentary uh, ever made, uh, called The Corporation. And it was put together by, uh, actually emerged out of a book by a UBC law professor named Joel Backen here in, in Vancouver. And what he did was look at the functioning of the corporation in our society and how it is enabled and protected by the legal system to function as this standalone. Um, in fact, now in, in, in U.S. law, uh, I believe it's the 14th Amendment or the 18th Amendment, someone will correct me, I hope, uh, that uh, recognizes the corporation as an individual. And so back and applied um, the predictors and the, and the uh, psychometrics of uh, it's a fancy word for measurement of um, psychopathy or psychopathic behavior and looked at the functioning of a corporation as it is enabled by the law and how we um, treat the corporation as having rights under the law. And uh, with this sort of like study in the film, um, showed a compelling evidence that um, corporations do have a sort of psycho psychopathic inherent sort of psychopathic um, uh, modus operandi. That is, is that they're psychopathic in the sense that they're not out to um, to, uh, to maim and destroy and to cause suffering, but their bottom line is a, indicates something very sociopathic-like, which is that there's a complete and utter disregard, baseline disregard for the well-being of of others and the impact of its behavior. It's completely self-driven by profit. Now, that may seem extreme, but when you really get down to it, that's what the function of a corporation is. It actually has a fiscal responsibility or fiduciary responsibility to its shareholders to maintain profit. How it does that, as long as it operates within the law, is only driven by the corporate culture of that individual corporation, but per se, that's its function. And so we can look at how uh, corporations can, for example, you see the um, arrogance of the, I don't know the fellow's name, unfortunately, but the CEO of Nestle Corporation who's just been eviscerated in the media because uh, it was reported that Nestle, for example, here in B BC, extracts millions of liters of water without uh, any payment to the citizens of BC or the government. Um, and then resells it to us and to the world as bottled water. And presumably it pays corporate tax and um, et cetera, you know, to, for its operations, but it actually doesn't pay any usage fee or extraction, you know, levy on the resource itself, which is unbelievable. I mean, you, you pay a, a levy on lumber and on oil and other extracting and minerals and mining, et cetera. Somehow our water is considered. And so the height of that uh, arrogance is it was expressed in, in a statement that the CEO made to the media, which is essentially saying that water is not, an, is not a human right, that it's just a commodity to be exploited. Well, from a corporate point of view, that's true. But from a human point of view, from the, from the point of view of, of um, living in an interdependent uh, society and world, um, that's not a very humane thought. So corporate values reflect capitalistic thinking. They don't reflect, reflect human thinking and 
uh, a ground of care and concern for the well-being of others and empathy, etc. So there you go. There's a, uh, a rundown just of some uh, important research um, about uh, conservative ideology and when you look at the uh, current deadlock um, and the undermining of government functioning in the United States. And I should mention uh, that here in Canada, this our same conservative government has used this tool in our parliamentary um, system called proroguing, which is a way of suspending parliament if there's a deadlock or if the, if, the, if the parliament is unable to do its business. But it's used as a political tool to avoid debate. For example, there was a period about a year and a half ago where um, there was uh, enormous public outcry and scrutiny about the government's knowledge of um, uh, the torture of um, uh, prisoners in uh, or combatants in in Iraq, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so the the government has used this tool to avoid um, being pinned down on important issues and coming under scrutiny and under under um, you know due uh, examination. Um, by just not being in the parliament and suspending the parliament. And they've done it a record number of times. And it's, it's something that's not supposed to be used as a course of running the government. Um, and it has been done by other governments in the past, but not to the extent that this one has. So again, it's a, it's a manipulation of the system to justify the means. And of course, the famous statement at the end justifies the means is a very fascistic um, ideological um, um, cornerstone. Well, I wouldn't say you may have enjoyed the program today, but I hope that it was insightful and made you think uh, a little bit differently about um, how some of the more extreme uh, conservative uh, points of view and uh, policymakers and certainly these disruptions in the U.S. government to the point of uh, completely shutting down the government and causing an enormous dis uh, um, dysfunction um, and I forgot to mention that you know that the, the foundation of this attack is on a health care bill, which just uh, seems quite unthinkable that um, there would be this kind of destructive uh, motivation um, by the conservative uh, the Republican uh, party and representatives in the lobby. Uh, to the point of vindictively, you know, shutting down the government to try and sabotage this bill, which has already been passed. It's law now in the United States. That may be uh, my particular bias, having grown up in Canada and having socialized health care here, but the uh, United States is one of the only remaining uh, Western countries that uh, doesn't have um, national health care. Uh, Australia, Canada, Britain... Uh, some of the leading Western countries, um, France, have nationalized health care. Well, there we go. Uh, that's the topic for today. I hope, uh, the, as I said, the, the program has been somewhat edifying for you today and uh, gives you a different insight into the process in uh, politics. And not only politics, but when you encounter people in your own lives who are very difficult to deal with and think in black and white terms and uh, can't tolerate ambiguity, they may not be necessarily politically, ideologically conservative, but they may be rigid and conservative in their um, 
in their ability to handle conflict or situations. My name is Michael Gordon. It's been my pleasure to host you on The Mind Whisperer today. Please visit our Facebook page and like us. Follow us on Twitter. All of that can be found here on our uh, homepage or by going to facebook.com forward slash The Mind Whisperer. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you next time on the program. Thanks very much. You and I jumped right in. Took no time for reckoning. Tortured pit.